going to go well for me. I'm sitting there in anticipation, and my mate's name was called out instead. <laughs> and I remember thinking, darn, you know, that's not fair. You know, I earned that. I had the results. I had the score. I certainly didn't have the teacher's admiration or appreciation. That was what probably made the difference. And I suddenly thought, life is unfair. And as you go through life, there are so many things that happen that seem unfair. Most of you would have been in a situation where maybe people are being invited to a party as a kid, or sports teams being picked, or leaders are being picked for a particular adventure, and you think you'll be in it, but because of connections, because of people's favourites, you think you're going to be called up, and it doesn't happen. As you get older... You'll end up in work situations where maybe you work the hardest and you perform well, but there are different deals going on and and favours being given and you miss out on promotions and perks that you expect. Maybe as you get older and and seniors start to die off in your family and relatives start to meddle with inheritances and things like that and it just seems time after time there are things in life that are just unfair. I remember speaking to a man a number of years ago who just loved God all his life, just worshipped the Lord and uh, lived such a good life, and yet he struggled with sickness so often. He said, Russell, it's not fair. I know rat bags that are much healthier than me. You know, what's going on? And it's true. There will be times in life when we look at life and we face situations and go, God, I don't understand what's going on here, but it feels unfair. And when those things happen, We get to make some big choices in life. How does God want his kids, kingdom kids, people of the kingdom? We're not like everybody else. We're different. We belong to heaven. How does he want us to respond when life is unfair and the challenges come and the suffering begins to happen? If if you're new to the church and you haven't been with us for the other uh, studies on the book of James, James is Jesus' half-brother and he's probably the bluntest person in the early church. He was so blunt that he'd look people in the face and say, you say you've got faith, but if your faith isn't resulting in action, it's a waste of time, it's worthless, you know. And he spoke like that. They nicknamed him Olcamonis because he was a man of prayer. But he was blunt, and he believed if you're a Christian, Christians mean you live differently, you help people. And uh, the way he spoke to folk... I think would get people in trouble today if we spoke to each other uh, in the way that he did. And we'll straighten to the point. Now, as we open up the book of James, the last chapter this morning, James chapter 5, I want to give you an insight into what was happening in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, there were some people who were um, looked upon favorably that came to church probably at Christmas and Easter. So imagine some really, really rich cats who uh, uh, oppressed the poor who walked over people, who became really, really rich, and only came to church a couple of times a year. And when they came to church, people would greet them at the door and gush and ooh and ah and bring them to the best seats and treat them the best and say, oh, look who's here at church today. It's Elon Musk, you know, or it's, it's someone else that famous. And James the Apostle just kind of a bar of it. Now, Scripture says being wealthy is a good thing. It says if you work hard and you study, it's a good thing to be wealthy. It proves your discipline. But it also says if you've gained your wealth by walking over people, by using people, by abusing people, like these few folk had, it's a seriously bad thing. 
and James was seeing these people getting treated like they were royalty, and they only came to church a couple of times a year just to be patted on the back and just to be treated like special people, and he wasn't having a bar of it. Let me read to you the beginning of James chapter 5 as he addresses that particular people group in this church. This is blunt, and you're probably not going to find it encouraging. A word of advice for the pretentious, unbelieving oppressors. Look here, you rich people. Weep and moan and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and your silver are corroded. The very wealth you're counting on will eat away at your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who have harvested your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of Heaven's, uh, the Lord of Heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people uh, who do not resist you. It's a bit blunt, isn't it? I mean, no one's going to read that and go, I just feel so encouraged this morning. Yeah, just not. See, these are not rich people who work hard, who study, who the book of Proverbs honours. These are rich people who work over people, who cheat people, who don't pay people fairly. And they've gained their wealth from immoral means. And James is ticked off. He says, look out, guys. You're going to get yours. It's coming. Justice is coming. You haven't gotten away with your behaviour. Interesting, these people, this people group, uh, felt that by storing up lots of wealth, when the days of tribulation comes, they'll do well. And the idea is that you have a bunker, you have a storeroom, and we know the end times are coming, and they would store up their wealth and say, when the tribulation comes, we'll have lots to eat, lots of baked beans, lots of spaghetti, what else is stored away for those days? Their security was in what they stored up in their wealth. It wasn't in God. And they completely misunderstood Scripture. Scripture says that if I believe in God, there's going to be a day when God will take you and I, all of those who live by grace and just love on the Lord, to meet him in the clouds, to be with him in heaven for the wedding feast of the Lamb for seven years. But these people are storing up wealth. They know those judgment days are coming. We're going to be okay. We've got our bunkers full of baked beans. You know, We're all set to go, and it's crazy thinking. And you can go online and find there are people like that today saying, you know what, maybe the rapture's not going to happen. Maybe we're going to be left behind. We need to get prepared. I think it's crazy thinking, not only wrong theologically, it's crazy. I was thinking about this the other day. If I stored up resources for myself and my family and my neighbours were struggling or people down the road were struggling, what would I do? I'd give it away, friends, I really would. Our place, we've got a couple of nice gardens, we've got lots of fruit trees. I'm an average fisherman. There's far better fishermen than me in the church. Anna's got chickens that produce about seven really nice eggs a day. Uh, we've got quite a lot of food, but you know, if the times were hard and the days of judgment come, the tribulation was here, I'm not going to say, hold my shotgun at the door and say, neighbours, get lost. This is for me and my family. I couldn't do that. I would share what I had. I'd give it away. So storing up, looking to things for security for the future, it's crazy. It's not going to work. So James, the half-brother of Jesus, has some 
really uncomfortable words addressing these guys who come to church just to be treated as special. Undiluted words challenging them, saying, look, you're going to get yours. Justice is coming. Then he gives a word of advice to the Christian who is being treated unfairly and is suffering in some way. Now, the first few verses, boy, they're harsh. But now he's talking to Christian people who are living by grace, rich and poor, who have been treated unfairly and are suffering. He says in verse 7, Dear brothers and sisters, it's like a different person almost, isn't it? Be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look forward to the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. There's a few of you that are really good gardeners and Murray cut forth a good farmer. And what gardeners and farmers do is you prepare the soil, you sow the seed, you pray there's not going to be any more flooding this year and you wait. You wait for it to grow. You wait patiently because you know the harvest is coming. We're meant to be doing that in times of disillusionment, times when life is unfair, when life is challenging and we're feeling ripped off. Here's a solution, he says. James says, here's your solution. If right now someone else is getting the promotions, if right now people are getting what you thought should be yours, this is your solution. Be patient. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. That The second coming of Jesus is just that far away. Oh, it might be unfair right now. It might be people are treating you wrongly right now and there's bias in the workplace and those sorts of things are going down, but he's just at the door. He's moments away and the Lord is coming soon. And that perspective will make all the difference to how you handle today's challenges. Life is unfair, but earlier on James described life as being like a vapour, like the morning fog, like we had the other day. It's there for a while, but it's gone. It's gone very quickly. So how should we respond if we're Christians and we face situations of injustice and life is unfair and people rip us off and put us down? We should be patient. The Lord is coming. Don't grumble or complain. Gosh, I don't think there's ever been a time where there's been more scams as there is today. You open up your phone, you check your email, someone's trying to scam you. You know, someone's trying to get you to pay for to- road tolls that you haven't, haven't used and all sorts of crazy stuff that's going down. We give money to some charities and instead of them going to the poor overseas, sometimes that money gets diverted to the politicians and the rich cats. And, and we look at that and we go, that's flipping wrong and it's unfair and it shouldn't be happening and people are trying to rip folk off all the time. It's hard. And probably every one of us in some way at some stage has been used and abused. What should we do if we're Christians? James says, focus on this one thing. Jesus is coming again soon. 740 years before Jesus was born. Prophet Isaiah said this. There will be a day when the nation of Israel was born again. A nation will be born in a day. Jesus said, when you see the fig tree blossom, That means the beginning of the end times has come. 
when Israel was given back its nation again in, in May 1948, in a day it became a nation, became a people again. It's never happened before in history. That's when the fig tree blossomed. And Jesus said, some of the generation, some of those people that see that event will still be alive at the second coming of Christ. He's standing at the door. Jesus said in that last season, there'll be wars and threats of wars. There'll be an increase in earthquakes and bizarre weather patterns. The planet will be like a woman going into labor. There'll be rapid moral decay in society as there was in the days of Noah. Many will be offended will betray one another and will hate one another. Then false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. We've moved to virtually a Catholic society, as the book of Revelation speaks about. We're moving quickly toward a one-world government, as the book of Revelation speaks about. Today you can enter buildings and buy things and trade by just passing your hand under a scanner and all your information is transferred. The purchases can be made, the doors can be opened. Israel is getting ready to build the final temple talked about in the book of Revelation. The river Euphrates is drying up. That's something that happens during the seven years of tribulation. So many prophecies are being, and the process are being fulfilled and we have to say if you read the Bible... Jesus is standing and he's right at the door. He's really, really close as coming again. Only when he returns will he experience true justice and freedom. If you're suffering, James is saying, if, if people are ripping you off and if you're not missing out on promotions and you're not being picked for the team and life is unfair, be patient like a farmer. Why? Because Jesus is right at the door. Prophecies are being fulfilled. He's about to come soon. You know what we can feel like at times? Let's take up petitions. Let's start an activist movement. Let's, let's lobby government. And, and none of that's particularly bad, but those things are not going to bring about justice. They're not going to bring about peace. The second coming of Jesus will. That's when justice will really happen. That's when people will be judged fairly. When those who are getting away with all sorts of crimes and dishonesty now will face a judgment, and God's judgment will be fair, and there'll be no court of appeal. If you're a Christian, Jesus is standing at the door. Also, look to the example of the prophets who are blessed for being patient. For example, Job, verse 10. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honour to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. You'll recall what happened to Job. He suffered terrible loss and terrible pain. And Mrs. Job turned to him and said, look, for goodness sake, just curse God and die. Probably not the most encouraging words from Mrs. Job, but life was bad. It was really bad. And Job said, I'm not going to curse God. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to trust God. And eventually, God rewards Job. And he has twice as much as what he has before. God honors and blesses him because he's patient. He's blessed because he's patient and he keeps the focus and he keeps his faith. So when life is unfair, when it's hard, when it's challenging, think about the Lord's coming. He's coming soon. 
Don't be grumbling or complaining. Wait patiently like the prophets and watch your language. Don't be swearing or getting negative or talk, taking oaths. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Verse 12 says, But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. James in the book of James keeps saying, the more you talk, the more likely it is you're going to make a mistake. The more words you use, the more likely it is you're going to sin. So keep it simple. Just say yes or no. Keep your words brief. Don't try and get complicated to avoid those problems. If your suffering is emotional, relational or spiritual, you should pray. And uh, Pastor Tuck's so good at reminding us of that. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Why? Because our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers in the high places. It's against uh, beings that influence our culture. And if there's relational problems, if there's psychological problems, if there are things going down emotionally that you're struggling with, you need to push back with the word of God against those situations and start declaring God's truth and fighting where the real fight is in the spiritual realm. Bind things up, rebuke things, declare the word of God over you and your family and get freedom. Where does anxiety come from? Where does fear come from? Where does discord come from? At the very least, it's influenced by the dark realm, by the spiritual realm. There's a degree to which whatever else is going on uh, physically within a person's mind, those things make it worse and influence it and feed into it. So if you're struggling emotionally, pray. And if you're happy, you should sing praises. And this church is so good at doing this. I watch our prayer meetings. I watch people get together and people often sing. And Bonnie blesses us by just going into worship and song throughout her day without knowing what she's doing. It's just natural. She just starts to sing God's praises and it lifts us all up. If your suffering is physical, you should call for the elders of the church. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you. Anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. And the Lord will make you well. If you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. I want you to turn to the person beside you and say, why does it say elders, not elder? Could you tell the person beside you? Why does scripture say turn to the elders for prayer, call for the elders plural? Why don't you just ring up an elder? What's the reason behind that? Tell the person beside you. This is a very intelligent congregation, so I bet you've all got this right. If one person in the church is doing all the praying, and every time this person comes to pray for people, folk are falling over and getting delivered and getting healed, and when everyone else prays, maybe nothing much happens, but come to this one person and get prayer. You know what happens? You know who the focus comes on? It comes on that person. But if two or three elders come to your home or to your hospital bed, and they anoint you with oil and they say, well, I'm putting oil on you because I believe the Holy Spirit's at work in you. It's a symbol of faith. God's at work in you. 
and elders pray for you. And the power of God comes upon you when you start to get healed and your health improves. Who gets the glory then? No one person, it's God. So to keep us safe, God knows what we're like. God knows if he uses us in the miraculous. It's just us on our own. We're going to want to write books about it and pass out courses and run seminars on how God uses me, you know. But we keep safe from that. It's about Jesus, so we get the elders to pray, and when miracles happen, Jesus gets the glory, not individuals. It's the faith of the elders. It's the faith of the person praying. One of the things I've really appreciated about the the course that um, Pam Perkins runs, the Curry Blake course, is because they say it's not on the person getting prayer that the, the, is the onus for the miracle. It's on the person doing the praying. I think that's right. I think that's right. Sometimes you'll turn on the TV and you'll hear a televangelist say, you weren't healed because you didn't have faith. And sometimes people say it in churches, oh, I prayed for you and I had faith, but you weren't healed, maybe you didn't have faith. That is extremely dangerous territory. I hear that and I shudder and I think, boy, you'll face judgment one day for words like that. It's not on us to condemn someone else's lack of faith. If we're praying for a sick person, it's on our faith. If the miracle is based on my faith, if I'm doing the praying, not the faith of the person receiving the prayer. And when people move in that area, so much harm is done and God doesn't get the glory. It takes pressure off the sick person. You know when you're really sick and maybe you've been sick for a while and you think, gosh, I've, I've prayed and my family have prayed and I've, I've turned to medicine and medicine's a blessing, but I'm still really sick. I'm going to call the elders. You know, when that happens, gosh, I've lost it, my friends. Um, when that happens, when we call for the elders, you know, God moves in and God gets the glory. I've got a friend who 30 years ago, he was uh, a bank manager and he got sick with a, a form of cancer in his bones and he went to a very conservative Methodist church and God loves the Methodists, they're wonderful people. And uh, he was lying in a sick bed in hospital, he'd been given a short period of time to live, his name was Paul. And Paul got to James 5 and it said, when you're sick, call the elders. So he phoned up the elders and said, hey, the Bible says when I'm sick, I should ring you guys, you're going to anoint me with oil and pray the prayer of faith over me. And they said, oh, we don't know what to do, Paul. You know, I don't really understand that scripture. He says, no, your elders, come and pray for me. And that man got out of his sick bed and went on to live for about 25 more years in really good health. He'd done everything. He'd done the right thing. He'd prayed first. He'd, he'd taken medicine and been wise and he had people pray for him. But when the elders came and prayed... There was a miracle healing. I actually believe, friends, that um, the demonic realm respects spiritual authority. And there are sometimes some sicknesses where there's a battle over your life and Satan's trying to keep you sick and there's a spiritual battle as well. And, and I actually believe that when elders pray, the demonic realm recognise they've been put in a position of authority and those things have to go. And that's often part of the healing process. The prayer of faith. Prayer of faith. James and Peter and John went to pray. They met a layman on the way. Do you remember the story? Remember the song? Acts chapter 3. They're walking past this layman on the way to the beautiful gate to worship. Now, they had passed this layman hundreds of times, at least hundreds of times before. And he would be put there every day to hold out his arms and beg for food, beg for money, 
beg for a shekel, you know, something to live on. And that was his job to sit there and beg. They had walked past him hundreds of times on this day. There's a prayer of faith. There's a gift of faith. A miracle of faith is imparted to them. We read in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer meeting. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put outside the temple gate and the one called the beautiful gate. And so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. This lame, lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. As he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up and stood to his feet and began to walk. Then walk, went walking and leaping and praising God. He went to the temple with them. They'd walk past this man hundreds of times. On this day, they look at the man and there's a, a gift of faith. They just know that they know that they know when they pray there's going to be a miracle. How many of you experienced that? It's a situation in your family. Someone's phoned up with a prayer net and you just know. You just know. If I pray right now, it's going to happen. I believe whenever there's sick people, we should pray and tell the sickness to go. I believe we should do that. But there are times when you get the gift of faith and you know it's going to happen and the miraculous follows. And that's what took place in this situation. Last year, Bonnie spoke about praying in the name of Jesus. That's important. And praying according to the Lord's will. Speaking healing over a sick person. There'll be times when we're given radical faith to pray for the sick and the miracles take place. Last, about three months ago, I got a, a phone call from Diana Pearson. I don't know if you know Diana. A godly lady, real intercessor. And we've had elders in the church for about three months, four months now. Probably four months. And Diana said to me, Russell, I know hundreds of people have prayed for you, and they have, over my heart problems and over my lung problems. And, and, and I've gotten 90% better because of the medical intervention and the prayer that's gone together. And Diana said, look, you're still a bit sick, Russell. You're still getting chest pains. Have you got the elders to pray for you? I thought, look at that. She's right. I've had probably a couple of hundred people pray for me, and there's been improvement, but I'm not 100%. So when I went to the next elders meeting, I said, Katie Murray, would you guys pray for me? Because that's fulfilling all that scripture says. It's something the Bible says I hadn't done. When they prayed for me, I felt the heat of the Holy Spirit go around down the back of my head and right down my back and tingling through my body, through my whole body. And I felt so much better since they prayed for me. There's something important about saying, I'm going to submit to God. I'm going to do what he says. And God says, if you're sick and you've done things, you've had prayer, you've sought the Lord, you've fasted, you've got the right medicines, you're still not right, get the elders to pray for you. And there's an authority on that, an obedience in that, that God will bless. Our two elders are really godly, humble they're busy people, but they're godly, humble people. I wouldn't just say, turn up today, elders, come and pray for me right now. I'd give them a warning. I'd ask, can you fit me in after a church service or if you're in hospital? Can they arrange a time to come? But I know there's faith in our elders to pray for the sick and for the sick to get well. And that's been my experience. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. 
Now, again, it's an incredibly dangerous thing to say to someone, you're sick because of your sin. That does happen. And somebody might be sick because of their parents' sin, or if their parents were in the uh, Masonic Lodge, they might have respiratory problems, right, right down to third or fourth generation. But it's not for us to say to people, you're sick because of your sin. Sometimes people are sick because they've eaten the wrong things, and that's been a part of my story. I've not chosen well what I eat. I've got a really sweet tooth. Sometimes people get sick because they're warriors, because they're anxious people, because they, they just worry and stress about stuff all the time. Sometimes they get sick because they struggle to forgive people. And there's a whole range of reasons. Maybe they drink too much. You know, a glass of wine's okay, but a bottle, it's, it's not good, you know. And they've got physical problems because they've erred in some way. The Bible says when that happens, you confess your sins to one another and you pray for each other. The prayer offered will bring healing and their sins will be forgiven. So the sickness might have been caused by sin, but those sins will be forgiven. I want to say to people, if, and I'd say this to folk all the time, if you've got an addiction, if you have trouble breaking out of a cycle in your life, you just keep finding yourself going back to whatever that problem is. Verse 16, so powerful. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Who's a righteous person? Tell the person beside you, friends. Who's a righteous person? Who gets to be righteous so they can approach the throne room of grace any time? You don't get to be righteous because you've been perfect for two months. You don't get to be righteous because you've done enough study. You get to be righteous because you've accepted the love and the grace of God on your life. You're in Christ Jesus. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And when the Lord looks at you living by grace, he's forgiven because of his goodness. When the Lord looks at you, he sees the, the righteousness of Jesus wrapped around you. He says, honey, my, come up and talk to me anytime. I want to answer your prayers. The, when you confess your sins, the prayers of a righteous person, oh, they're powerful and effective. The two go together. The earnest prayers of a righteous person is power and produces wonderful results. And if you are brave enough to say, I'm not going to be locked in this cycle anymore. I'm not going to keep struggling with this addiction anymore. I'm not going to keep going round and round with this anxiety, with this worry anymore. I need to get free. What should I do, according to Scripture? I should seek out a mature Christian. I could say, I've got a sin. I'm sinning in this area. It's not my, my, my mum's fault, not my dad's fault, not my boss's fault. It's my problem. I take responsibility for it. I confess it as sin. And I ask God's forgiveness. And the person hearing the confession can say, you're forgiven, according to Scripture. And I believe when someone comes like that and confesses sin, that the powers of darkness have broken and wonderful things will happen. Healing takes place and freedom comes. Friends, is life always going to be fair? No, it's not. Hopefully it's fair most of the time, but there will be seasons when it's not fair, when it's challenging, when it's hard. What should you do in those seasons? First of all, focus on this. Jesus is coming soon. Look at the big picture. Freedom and justice are at, on the way. They're at the door. They're at the door. Freedom and justice, they're that far away. Jesus is nearly back. Secondly, don't be moaning or getting negative. 
Don't be complaining or swearing or spouting a whole lot of words. Watch your language. Keep it simple. If your suffering's caused by others or physiological, psychological, sorry, in some way, you should pray because your battle is not against flesh and blood. If it's physical, you should call for the elders. If the dark side's got hold of you and you're in some kind of addictive cycle, break its power by confessing your sins to another Christian. You're not a victim in this world. You never were, you never will be your Christ child. You've got power in you to walk in freedom. And God has given us the tools for that to take place. You're a Christian. You've been given the righteousness of Jesus. You can approach God Almighty any day, any time. You can make real changes to this world when you pray. I want you to stand, friends. I want you to look at this declaration on the screen in front of you. I've missed a word, actually, in the first line. I apologise for that. It should be, I declare that when, the word when's missing, life is not fair, I will choose a kingdom response. So we'll just add in when as we speak it. But have a look at that. And if you can give me the second one as well. Second part of the, that's perfect. Just read through that. Is life going to be unfair in the weeks ahead and challenging? It will at times. Hopefully not too often, but it will. But God, through his words, has given us the right responses to face those challenges. Let's make this declaration together. We'll add the word when in. I declare that when life is not fair, I will choose a kingdom response. Though people sometimes use me and hurt me, I am not a victim. I'm a child of God. I choose this day to see the big picture, to patiently wait for the Lord to come. I believe that when he does, then life will be fair and justice will prevail. I give you my words to control. I choose not to gossip or grumble, but to keep my words simple and full of faith. In these days, I've been given to live for you. I will exercise the prayer of faith and miracles will follow me. This I believe, this I declare, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to pray for you as the worship team come forward. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we don't belong to the world, but we're living in the world. And in this world, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And good people go through hard times. And in this world, we can easily be caught up with the problems and the stress of today. But you would say to us as your kids, have the big picture. Jesus is coming soon. And we want to pray, God, that the people of Whangarei City would see kingdom responses in us. Lord, as they watch us, as they look to see what do Christians do when life is unfair, when there's challenges, when there's pressures, may they see in us kingdom responses that show that we have faith and that you're real. Father, we pray this week as we face challenges, and there'll be challenges to face, that God, you go before us, that you guard our words, you guard our responses, and we get to pray the prayer of faith often. Lord, we believe as your kids, we have the Holy Spirit in us, and we have the power through our words to create different destinies, different futures. We believe, Lord God, miracles will follow the speaking of truth, the speaking of your word, and miracles will follow us. Lord God, we're not victims in this world. We're your kids. We're children of the King. We're royalty. And we choose, Lord, in the week ahead 
to walk in that grace, to walk in that authority, to walk in that truth. We ask for your power. We ask for your perspective. In Jesus' name.